You're listening to There Ought to Be a Law, the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by me, Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has worked to make cars safer. Good morning, listeners. Good morning, everybody. Well, that was an honor of our uh, intrepid host, Mr. Fred Perkins, who has the week off. Uh, We hear he's hanging out in his Malibu vacation home, uh, windsurfing. Uh, or something. I don't know. No, he's just, he's got the week off and, uh, you know, good for him. It's a Thanksgiving week here in the U.S. and, uh, we're, uh, we're thankful for his time on the show and he'll be back next week. Is he back next week? He's definitely back next week. Better be I'll back. be shocked if we can make it through a few, you know, oh, minutes here without him. We can him, make right? it through without him. There's no problem. Um, but also thanks. Let's, uh, let's talk about Thanksgiving because, you know, if you're out there driving on Thanksgiving, um, uh, don't. It's uh from our report in the Concord Monitor. Uh, Thanksgiving is the most dangerous day to drive. An analysis of national car crashes shows that driving on Black Friday, the shopping day after Thanksgiving, is safer than any other time in November. But driving on Thanksgiving itself is much more dangerous. And I think driving on Black Friday is safer is because you've already been pummeled and stampeded while trying to get a juicer. I think it goes back to that. You know, we talked about uh, when cities are, when there's more traffic, we see fewer fatalities. And that's probably related there because no one can get up to high enough speeds to hurt anyone. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's interesting. One of the, the interesting part of this is I think most of the crashes that are happening on Thanksgiving are not necessarily happening during the day on Thanksgiving you know, most most deadly crashes happen at night. And the kids have apparently taken to calling the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. You know, you've got Black Friday. Well, Wednesday is blackout Wednesday. So, and I know it's, at least in my area of the country, there are a lot of young college kids who are coming home from school and seeing their friends for the first time in a long time today and they all like to go out and partake in various substances and that really spikes the the crash rate around this time of the year and at least that's my take on it why we see such a gigantic rise here wait so blackout one so the idea is hey we're home from uh you know we're all home from school and we're seeing high school friends we haven't seen in a while and we're all gonna get hammered let's all get drunk and drive yeah um (laughs) It's, you know, it's, it's from a social perspective, it's understandable you want to see your friends and hang out, but, you know, and, and you, it doesn't absolve you from the responsibility, obviously, and but reliving high school trauma is probably the main contributor to this, to the, to the Thanksgiving, um, fatalities. Huh. Well, you know, also in the article, it says that the second deadliest day is Memorial Day, which I understand makes sense. Everyone had just had a cookout. I had a few too many. Woohoo. Um, it's kind of like Blackout Memorial Day. Blackout Memorial Day? Sure, why not? Uh, and from the article, it's perhaps surprisingly, New Year's Eve is the safest holiday. Uh, fatal accidents over the period studied were actually 16% lower than the rest of December. That is very shocking to me. Are, is everyone getting a cab that day? Who knows? You know, the, the human's behavior is very odd. And these, these numbers aren't, um, you know, it's not that every single year Thanksgiving is the deadliest holiday. I believe some years it might, you know, switch over to, could be Memorial Day, it could be Halloween. And it, and it also depends on how you look at the numbers. But it's, I, there's really no other explanation for it other than that, you know, there's already a lot of travel but generally that travel is you know leading up to and after thanksgiving you know i know some people do drive you know long distances on thanksgiving day but it doesn't seem to be as busy on the roads on thanksgiving as it is during the period around thanksgiving so it's i don't know i remember driving back uh thanksgiving night one year and it's on the new york state Thruway two-lane highway i'm in the right lane which is the slow lane and there's a guy behind me honking the horn flashing his lights at me like speed up and i'm like dude there's the passing lane to the left like why why are you doing this and he's and i'm i'm 
doing, you know, a little over the speed limit, not a crazy amount, but I'm moving with traffic. I mean, there's a car in front of me a good distance away, but this guy's like insisting I speed up instead of passing me. And then when he eventually goes to pass me, he slows down the car and gestures at me wildly. Um, very offensive. Like I, I, I don't understand what happened there. There was like, so that's weird. Maybe, you know, he ate too much Turkey. He was trying to get home for his nap. You, you did say this was New York, right? So that does explain. Yeah. Something. No, it was not New Jersey it was not Virginia. Okay. It was, uh, you know, it was not Massachusetts. Okay. The people in the state can kind of drive, kind of drive. I don't know. So listeners, if you're out there and you're in Thanksgiving traffic, bumper, bump, bumper to bumper to bumper to bumper, um, you know, hey, you'll be safer, more frustrated. Uh, but don't drive like a maniac because uh, we're watching and we're listening to you. We'll, uh, we'll uh, ensure that the uh, National Traffic Safety Bureau gets on intelligent speed assistance. How is that for That's a transition? National Transportation Safety, Safety Board. Bureau. Damn it. National Transportation Safety Board. Safety board. Safety Sorry. board. I said safety board. Um, so uh, there's something we've talked about before um, called a speedometer in your car. And for whatever reason, they go up to like 180. We don't know why. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing possible. Well, I- <laughs> here's why. And, and you know, I hear this a lot that speedometers shouldn't go higher than a certain amount. You, the problem is that the cars go over the certain amount. And when you've got someone driving a vehicle at 115 miles an hour, you want them to know how fast they're going, right? You don't want to take away the ability for, for someone to objectively be able to evaluate what speed their vehicle's going. Um, what would work here is a lot like what, you know, we saw in the Fast Company article from David Zipper. You know, why is the car going that fast in the first place? Um, why are we building cars that can achieve these speeds? Um, so the NTSB was studying a crash in Las Vegas where some guy who was high on cocaine and PCP, Anthony's favorite combination. Hey, it's just a Tuesday was, afternoon. Yeah, you know, he drove right through a red light at 103 miles an hour um, and basically killed all seven people in a minivan. And um, as part of this, you know, they're, they're, the NTSB looks at this crash and they come up with a lot of recommendations. Um, you know, they've been recommending for years to NHTSA that NHTSA get some sort of regulation on the books that mandates intelligent speed assistance in cars. Um, and intelligent speed assistance at base and what NHTSA would probably mandate is really you know, I don't want to diminish it too much, but it's just an annoying feature that lets you know when you're going over the speed limit. It's, you know, I, I, it's not slowing the vehicle down. And, what, and and that's something that I think needs to be, everyone that looks at this issue needs to look at. Because guys like the guy on cocaine and PCP driving 103 miles per hour through a red light do not give a, a damn about a buzzer or a warning or an alarm telling them they're going too fast. Um, and not only that, you know, some of these systems that the, like AEB and others can be turned off and I'm sure it'll be similar. I've seen, you know, in proposals around intelligence speed assistance, I've seen the ability, you know, it comes on every time you turn on the car, but just like that little um, ignitions auto start that turns off every light, you have to manually cut it off if you don't want it to be on. So there's a button that allows you to do that. And in the intelligent speed assistance, I'm sure there will be another way to turn it off. So in our world of auto safety, you know, it's it's not really intelligence and it's not really assistance. It's just a warning. What we really need to do is either build vehicles that cannot exceed the maximum speed limit, first of all, and then and know which what the speed limit is wherever they're traveling and will will not exceed the speed limit. Um, and that's not really what the push is for here. It's for intelligent speed assistance. And there's another, they're calling it active intelligent speed assistance would be the type that actually um, intervenes and slows the vehicle down or prevents it from getting to certain speeds. And that is what we really want to see. Um, because people who are speeding and driving recklessly 
just don't care about warnings and buzzers. That's not going to have an appreciable impact, I don't believe, on the fatalities we're seeing from speeding and the God, who knows how many injuries every year. Um, and so until I think the NTSB should be even stronger here. I mean, NHTSA hasn't done anything yet here. They've been, you know, basically ignoring this issue. There's a lot of political pushback on this issue because people want to speed. Not but, yet on cocaine and PCB. Yeah, but ultimately, if you're not stopping those people, you're not going to address the problem. Uh, if you're just building warnings and feel-good systems in the car that make you think you're addressing the problem, but you're not actively addressing it, I don't think we're going to see that type of speed warning work to to reduce some of the carnage on our roads. It's really going to take, you know, telling people they cannot speed and enforcing that on them in their vehicle. And that is something that a lot of people seem to think isn't very American. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a very difficult issue to squeeze through over at NHTSA and manufacturers. I mean, can you imagine coming out as the only manufacturer that is selling vehicles that refuse to exceed the speed limit and, and what's going to happen to your sales. Hey, um, you... So it's a huge problem. Everybody needs to be, I think it needs to be all be done at once. You know, there's going to be a model year that comes out, say 2025. It certainly won't be that quick, but vehicles built after 2025 will not exceed the speed limit in your area. Um, and then, you know, it's going to take many years before the entire fleet is replaced with vehicles that refuse to exceed the speed limit. Okay. So and it's a long process, but if you're starting with warnings, you're never going to get to where you need to be. I don't believe to ultimately solve the problem. Okay. So we'll, they'll just back through this. So the, the passive system you're talking about is an alarm. Basically it has a database um, and it can track where you are on the roads and says, Hey, based on where you're on the road, you're going a little fast and we'll ding, 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 yep. ding, 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 ding. Kind of like a sleep seatbelt warning system. So if you yep. make it that annoying, no one ignores that. What you do at best case is you like, oh, I'm just going to plug the seatbelt in and sit on top of it because freedom. Um, and you can't do that with this system. And if you bury the menu far enough, you know, only maniacs will dig through software and try and disable it. The active system, if I'm right, is if you exceed the speed, like it will let you go above, uh, you know, some certain percentage above. Yeah, there's a little, for, yeah, it lets you go a little above. Yeah, kind of like what you passing, normally, maybe four, five, seven, somewhere in there. Miles right, 30, 40, something like that. And, uh, and that will force you to use more force on the accelerator to continue at that speed. But what I want to know is the question is, is a uh, okay so cars at one point they tried to have governors in them basically to say hey the car can't go this fast and even uh, from this article we're linking to in fast company um it says that modern automobiles do use a governor to limit em engine damage but the threshold is set absurdly high often um uh, at 155 miles per hour even safety conscious volvo allows its cars to reach 112 miles per hour like well, <laughs> yeah, governors, are, governors are clearly not the solution because they're only going to address one speed. I mean, even if even if you govern your vehicle to 80, say, it's reasonable. Well, somebody can still go 80 in a 25 mile per hour school zone. And, you know, juniors are useless when it comes to all the different speed limit zones we have. Um, unless they might, you know, a, a governor at 80 certainly might have helped out in the crash in Las Vegas that the NTSB was looking into. And it would prevent a lot of these, you know, really higher speed crashes. There was the one in Los Angeles uh, about a year ago where a nurse was trying to get to work at 100 miles an hour um, and killed a car full of people and walked away. Um, those well, kind of things trying to get could be eliminated somewhat with the governor. But um, ultimately, you know, with the huge number of pedestrian fatalities that we're seeing in the rise there every year, you know, speed is not just an issue on, you know, interstates and highways where you can go very fast. It's a huge issue in urban areas where there are low speed limits and, you know, people are driving at criminal rates of speed, you know, double or more than what the posted speed limit is. But I guess my, my question I want to come to is, okay, first I'm going to play the role of, I'm going to channel my inner Fred. Oh, sorry, Michael, uh, question, uh, quiz. Uh, what state has the highest speed limit? I think it's somewhere out west, like Montana. Or somewhere it's Texas. Wyoming. Do you know what the speed limit is? 
And is it's it? 85 miles per hour. <laughs> for cars. For right? cars. Cr- yeah, I don't know. Right. So, okay, so uh, Texas has the maximum at 85 miles per hour. Um, why can I buy a car that goes 120 miles per hour? Like, why? Like, so what I'm asking, like, why are they, what's the point of selling cars that can go that fast? Like, my, my little Corolla, its speedometer will go up to, I don't know, 150, 130, something like that. Yeah. I, I'd be afraid to hit a hundred miles per hour on that thing is I'd imagine it would shake and fall apart. Like I don't need that kind of power in a three cylinder car. Maybe it's, maybe it actually has four cylinders. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you see them on the roads that are going faster. Yeah. But what it's on the question is like, right? why, why are, I mean, okay. I get there's the, the lame marketing people who are like, go zero to 60 in 3.2 nanoseconds. But like, uh, you know, I, who does that? teenage boys not really us but you know i i I, well i mean i i got a ticket for 60 and a 30 when i was 15 right after i got my driver's license yeah so teenage boys Um, yeah and boys will be boys but you know some boys never grow up i guess you know i I hope i've grown up but some boys (laughs) go grow up and they are buying cars and if you're limiting your vehicle to 80 miles an hour for instance, they're not going to buy it. They're going to go to the guy who's offering a hundred. But I guess the so I guess it's coming back to the whole Nitsa thing is like why are they allowing cars to be manufactured that go that fast? Like why are they allowing those things to be sold? Well, I guess looking back at the, the you know back through history, cars were being sold that exceeded those speeds before Nitsa came into existence. It was basically already and you know an American. Thing. I mean, the 57 Chevy and all the hot rods back then were 10 years before NHTSA ever came around. So people were already pushing the limits of technology. I mean, racing was definitely a thing way before NHTSA came around. But so like, they would be essentially, they would have the job there of changing an entire culture around speed in the United States. And it's not easy, especially, you know, I think we've talked before about how people kind of look at their cars like they do at their guns although there's no amendment protecting their cars or their right to drive but they look at it as a freedom to do whatever they want to do behind the wheel and when you get into this sphere you also start to hear all sorts of crazy things about why people need to exceed the speed in emergency situations um have you ever needed to exceed the speed limit in emergency situations to get somewhere um no. Not just because you're late, but because there's an actual emergency, an actual emergency that requires you to drive at you know high rates of speed to get to your destination. No, no, I, I gave up being a superhero long ago. But yeah. okay, so yeah, sure, I get that these things exist to be for NHTSA, but like you know, NHTSA managed to get you know fuel standards in place. Uh, we got rid of leaded gasoline. Right. Like you know, they changed entire industries. This but all those things are really changing a function of the vehicle or they impact the manufacturer. Here, you're pointing your finger at the people that are speeding in America and saying, you're not doing this anymore. Uh, okay. They're being told what to do and they're being told how to drive is essentially, you know, how I guess you would see it as a dedicated speeder. Uh, <laughs> and that is un-American to them, I suppose. I I uh, but it, it just there's backlash against this. I mean, there are you know, drivers' rights groups that this is their one of their number one platforms and ways to raise money is by telling, you know, Americans that their rights are being taken away when ultimately we're just trying to make the roads safer and not have, you know, 13,000 speed-related deaths on the roads every year. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, they're taking away my right to smash into people on bicycles. Like, this is, it's just a silly, silly argument, but okay. Um, I get what's happening there. Um, okay, so look, we're gonna continue on this with with speeding. Everybody, hey, speeding's fun. Actually, listeners, before we continue, write in, let us know. I'm really curious. Like, you know, have you ever had to rush somewhere in an emergency where you had to go way over the speed limit to save a kitten out of a tree or the the typical no, movie scenario no, no, that's that's not yeah, okay. the emergency no but, no, but the, <laughs> the, the typical emergency you see in movies like oh my wife's water broke we need to rush to the er like i mean that's the that's the hollywood trope you see but like um i mean short of because of like uh, hopefully if you, you know you got shot in a bank job 
you've already got stuff set up you've got your medic hidden away and, you know that that i'll let slide say yeah you can speed in that emergency but you know don't yeah, that's that's not an emergency either. I mean, you uh, created that emergency through your illegal bank job. Well, so, uh, you, know, it was, it was, you know, <laughs> that's not a compelling reason not to put speed limiting technology in cars. All right. Bank uh, robbers to get, you know, their wounds healed faster. Yeah, um, clearly not a fan of bank job movies. Uh, I mean, they, the very, very few things that I might agree with, you know, a specialized surgeon who has to make it to an operating room to save someone's life you know there are situations where i think we need to say sure you know sure that makes sense but to give that ability to every single human being out there you know half of whom often show that they 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 can barely operate at the speed limit is probably a bad idea agreed um, but hey, listeners, let us know if you're a specialized surgeon and or interested in getting involved in a bank job. Uh, so there's another article we're linking to from WUFT. Um, woofed. <laughs> oh, I'm a child. Uh, it's talking about new road safety uh, report shows reduced pedestrian fatalities using speed detection systems. Uh, basically, these are the speed cameras that uh, once a month I get a ticket because of someone I live with who keeps speeding too much in a school zone. Um, but okay, I'm gonna give her a pass because they like they change the school zones in New York City to be 24 hours, and so she's gotten two tickets for going uh 35 in a 25 school zone at like you know 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday, which I think is nonsense because that school is not open. Um, I mean, sure, we were doing PCP and cocaine that night, but that's not why they got the speeding ticket. But the article points out basically having these LIDAR and radar systems that, you know, that announce to the user, hey, we're going to catch you for speeding, causes people to uh, slow down driving, uh, i.e. impinge on their freedom. Um, and this reduces traffic uh, pedestrian fatalities. So this sounds like a good way to do it. Yeah, and this was... Florida, and they, they've actually done this in in uh, Virginia recently as well as these school zone speed limiting cameras. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's kind of uh, an easy target to place these things and a good place to start because no one's going to um, agree with speeding in school zones, and there, there are areas where the the speed limit is lowered to protect people, essentially crossing streets young people crossing streets um and there's you know it cam speed cameras get a lot of flack but when you when you actively use them and and the very important part you actually enforce the outcomes you have to collect the fines you have to pursue people who don't pay the fines when you do that that's something that dc has kind of failed on lately you know they've got a lot of speed camera and they've got you know you get drivers who are racking up thousands of dollars worth of tickets um who never pay them and continue to speed and and so you have to enforce those fines as well in order to see a behavioral change um but people become very aware of them really fast you know on the interstate uh near me on 295 going into the dc area there is this one spot where there's one camera and everyone on the highway slows down to 50 miles per hour right there. Almost no one misses it because it's popping up on ways and the people who drive that that way every day know about it. Um, so they work. I mean, there's no question they work. People just don't like them. People don't like being caught. People don't like paying fines. But the fact is, if you put them in, I mean, look, speed cameras could be put on every road in America. I mean, ultimately, here's what it's going to come down to here. Um, either we're going to have active speed-limiting technology in our cars to eliminate speed-related deaths, or we're going to pepper our entire country with speed cameras, um, which, you know, might open a, a, a whole host of other problems um, for some of these freedom advocates who think they need to be able to speed. But... <laughs> You know, I, I think that the in-vehicle part of it makes a lot more sense because vehicles really already have, it, it's, you're not talking about some advanced technology that's going to cost, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars per vehicle. Most vehicles have the ability to know what their speed is, to limit engine power, and to take the steps necessary to stay at speed limit. I think the, the only technical part here 
that needs to be put into vehicles would be, you know, being able to recognize speed limits in different areas. Um, that's something that we already see in Teslas and some other vehicles to some extent. I mean, I see that um, on Google Maps in my car. Um, yeah. Because half the time I'm on so a road. It's not, this isn't some, you know, new age thing. The technology's there. The acceptance is clearly not, you know, and, and even if, you know, I think the majority of Americans would probably favor this. It's, you know, that, that very vocal minority that, 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 that wants to speed that is against it. So it's a, it's a problem and we're going to continue to see it. I don't know. Listeners tell us how much do you want to speed versus how much do you like walking? You know, you got to balance that out because while you're walking, somebody else is out there speeding and it's still five points for every pedestrian you hit. Right. Is that, is that the law? That's not the law. No. I have, that's a state thing. No. I have, I mean, you know what? If you, <laughs> I don't state. think any point should be awarded for hitting pedestrians, right? Uh, well, I mean, it depends. It depends what kind of pedestrian they are. Uh, all right, let's move off of speed and go into uh, a story from CBS News. Uh, and this was uh, this is interesting to me. Um, so in uh, a couple years ago, President Biden signed the massive bipartisan infrastructure bill. And uh, part of it, NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, otherwise known as NHTSA, had to draft a number of new safety regulations, uh, including backseat safety, I believe. And uh, that came and went and they didn't do anything, it seems. Is that right? Well, they didn't do anything yet. Oh. I would say, you know, um, Fred told me I was too nice last week when I was talking about NHTSA and it's it's safety deadlines in this case that's why he's not here right now he's you know none, <laughs> none of us really expected NHTSA to jump on top of these things and to get them done before the date congress mandates i don't know when the last time they actually met a deadline was and as we've noted in the past their standards that they've been putting out that have come in you know five ten years after the deadline that congress required so NHTSA is often going to operate on, you know, their own time frame. And sometimes that's, you know, that's almost necessary because they're, they have to craft regulations that can test vehicle safety technology and make sure that those tests are repeatable and fair to everyone involved. And so it's, it's not always easy. However, some of the delays we've seen, like with rear seat back rear seatbelt reminders are technology and just make us scratch our head you know these aren't really complex issues they're they're dealing with in situations like that and those are the type of things that should come faster the seat back issue is a really old issue i mean it was 50 years ago in 1973 ihs told nitsa the insurance institute told nitsa you know We've got a bunch of these seat back front seat failures in our rear end crash tests. This is basically <clears throat> when the weight of the driver in the in a rear crash, the force destroys essentially, but but breaks the back of the seat and the seat. This is the back can, of the front seat. Um, yeah, the, the front seat. The, the seat can recline. Yes. And there's a couple of consequences from that. You know, this, your your seatbelt's not going to work as well. Your airbag system's not going to work as well when your seat's not in the proper position. So from a just protecting the person in that seat, there's a problem. But the even bigger problem is we often see the passenger and the driver in the front seats when their seat breaks and there are children in the back or other passengers in the back, their bodies are being flung the front seat passengers into the rear seat passengers and we have seen horrible cases of this we've seen cases where you know you have um you know children killed in the back seat we've seen cases where you know both children in the back seat received um really traumatic brain injuries and this is the head of the parent colliding with the child which is just a it's an awful thing right. um to happen and it's something that We've been warning NHTSA about IHS has PERG. Um, the list goes on and on for many, many years. IHS warned about it in 1973. In 1974, NHTSA said, yeah, we're going to do something about that. Well, 30 years went by, and in 2004, they withdrew that rulemaking. Um, why? why like, they've what's also the... been petitioned multiple times by engineers and other people to get something done here. And essentially, 
It's 50 years later, and we're the, the seat back issue has not been addressed. It's continuing to happen, you know, in crashes, rear end crashes all the time. And it's a tra- it's it's just it's a giant tragedy already. Um, this whole problem and it needs to be addressed quickly and it, it appears that NHTSA needs to do more research to figure out how to correct this problem there are some manufacturers who've started adding strength to their seats and who seem to have better outcomes but there's just not any good progress that's been made on this issue so that's what i'm um, wondering the is it- has been very involved in now and we're we're hoping that it speeds up so i mean because it, it how it doesn't sound like an incredibly difficult engineering problem considering all the other engineering that has happened over the last 50 years in sidecars from, right. you know, uh, crumple zones like that. I mean, that, that, that changed the, not only the, the basic frame of the vehicles, but the types of materials that are used. Um, and the way they all break apart, modeling all of that physics. Whereas this is literally the front seat. The, the back on it where you're in the driver's seat and where you lean your back, your lumbar support region with your your heated seats and all that stuff, that mechanism that holds it upright will break in a in an impact and cause it to slam backwards, slam forwards and backwards, crushing the person behind you. I don't I mean, you know, hey Fred, what's your thought on on the engineering in this? Well, he's speechless. He's like he's got nothing to say. It's unbelievable. Um, yeah, that is it is it, that is the basically the auto industry has resisted this effort for many many years now by saying any improvements that they make to the outcomes for the folks in the back seat is going to come at the expense of the person sitting in the front seat. Well, the Which person in the front seat I just paid think for it's the a car. bunch of baloney. I think they can do both. Yeah, that's uh that's a, that's another one. Hey, engineers out there, uh, tell us why this is hard. Um. Because, uh, you know, there could be something we're missing. But, uh, you know, if some manufacturers are, are fixing this issue by adding, quote unquote, strength, uh, why not do it? Uh, I don't get it. I think, you know, put the interior of the car being a fiber, uh, carbon fiber monocoque design. I think that's the way to go, just like Formula One. Uh, but all right. Look, this episode has been very, fairly serious so far. So let's get on to Kyle Watch. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, long time listeners of the show. You know, we've been uh, reaching out to Kyle Vogt, the uh, CEO of GM Cruise, who's now the former CEO of GM Cruise. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, whoever had November 17th as Kyle's last day, ding, 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 you win. I I lost. I assumed he's making it at least through December. Uh, but it turns out when you... um. When you're a tech bro and you're full of hubris, to put it nicely, eventually that's going to catch up with you and bite you in the ass, especially when your car drags a pedestrian 20 feet and then you try to lie about it. And Well, it's not really a good look. So, yeah. So General Motors, they uh, first before this, they put a lawyer in charge of the company and they said, hey, we're going to stop all of our vehicles. We're going to regain the public's trust in us, which I mean, General Motors, like who's really got a lot of trust in that? company i don't know i don't know it comes to safety i don't think hey general motors they they got it down no that's never occurred to me at all i don't think anybody has i mean if anything general motors has a long history of like hey let's put stuff out there have it explode pretend it didn't happen wait a decade then pay a billion dollars in fines um see the gm ignition failure problem uh, for a most recent one so uh, GM, they uh, then they eventually like, uh, Kyle, you get to, uh, we're firing you. But, you know, when you make that kind of money and you're a white guy, you don't get fired. You get to resign. You get to resign and you get to post stuff on Twitter and be like, hey, everybody, we're doing really good work. It's great. So uh, one of the things I'm going to jump in here on Kyle is, uh, so Kyle, is the, uh, he's the typical tech bro who, they're like a child that walks into a room and thinks, wait. I've I've just discovered this room. This is no one's ever been here before in the world. It's it's a uh, it's stupid. and it's going to save everyone. This yeah. Time. So uh, Kyle, a few years ago, he said, um, basically, we as a society seem to be focused more on the anecdotes and headlines than on the real problem. Referring to yeah, uh, the fact that his cars keep crashing into things, and the real problem being, you know, forty thousand deaths a year in in car crashes. We agree 100%. 40,000, bad number. We keep uh, groups like us and others work to keep getting that lower. 
but you know what? Kyle thinks he was the first person to discover this problem. Like, that's the problem with these tech bros. They think, wait a second, I've just learned a new fact. I've learned it. Ah, this is the first time I've learned it, so I must be the first person learning this. This is how I'll do this. Ignoring the fact that people have been working on this issue, not just organizations like the Center for Auto Safety. Go there right now and donate. But, you know, a bunch of engineers, the SAE, uh, Underwriters Laboratory, everybody has been working on this. Legislators, there's a whole bunch of government acronym soup that's been working on this. And so instead of thinking, hey, what's the easy way to solve this and make an improvement to actually lower those number of deaths? He's like, oh, I'll do remote controlled cars. I had one as a kid. I, I loved it. Thinking, hey, let's, you know, there's you already. Know, I gotta think Kyle is a little more sophisticated uh, than you're making him out to be. I don't, uh, you know, I look, my experience with the, the tech bro world was I remember they're all like, hey, there's problems with poverty in sub Saharan Africa. Let's give them all laptops. And I'm like, hey, how about let's give them potable water? That will save lives. <laughs> so yeah. essentially, that's what this, this whole self driving nonsense is. Hey, let's give people automatic emergency braking. Let's give them things like vehicle to infrastructure. Let's give them technology that's available and works today and just keep making it better. Um, but GM, uh, they got caught up in this and they've been spending billions of dollars and, uh, they were under the impression that by 2030, I believe that this was going to be a one trillion dollar market, which is amazing because the entire global ride hailing industry is under 30 billion dollars. So that's phenomenal growth. And GM thought, hey, we're going to own that as a $1 trillion market. Uh, so I think eventually Mary Barra, it's like, she was like, wait a second, what is this stuff we've been smoking? <laughs> Let's not do this anymore. So, hey, we give thanks to Kyle for his service in tech brew hubris. Yeah, I mean, that's really, that's a lot of, a lot of what the problem here is hubris. I mean, we kind of noticed an uptick in the, some of the um, push to pin a lot of bad things on human behavior and say, oh, we can solve this. Um, right around the time that he took over at Cruise, they, you know, th there was, there's certainly been a pretty heavy lobbying push. Um, we know they're lobbying state, you know, governors, legislators pretty hard, particularly in California. I know that Gavin Newsom has been lobbied pretty hard on these issues, which is why he has vetoed good ideas like putting safety drivers into autonomous trucks um but ultimately you know i think the problem here is that the technology is just not mature you know gm is used to putting out a new model every year right 2023 2024 they've gonna they're gonna put it out come hell or high water but in this case, the technology is simply not mature. You can't put out, you can't say you're going to put out a robo taxi that works and is safe and then do it in a two to three year span. I mean, ask Waymo. They've been saying it's coming for over a decade now and it's still coming. And it's a slow, I think, a slow iterative process that requires, you know, in my opinion at this point, still requires a trained safety driver. Um, and, and, Cruz just wasn't patient, basically. They 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 wanted to they, they started expanding to other cities far too quickly before they, you know, while they were still having massive problems in San Francisco with the fire department and with, you know, and all the other things we detailed. So it's it's simply going to take time. You're not going to be able to get this done on and you know the schedule that your investors would like you to. It's it's not you know a one year or two year or even five year plan here. It's it's further out of the future. And if your investors aren't happy with that, then perhaps you should be in another business. Well, I think Honda agrees with you, and that's why they pulled out of GM Cruise a while back, and that's why Ford and Volkswagen said, "Yeah, let's shut down our self driving business because." Oh. Uh, this uh, is not going to happen. Like, we you know, I bring it up all the time and our listeners are probably tired of hearing it, but I just don't see the, the use case, you know, for the robo taxi above an Uber or something else. Obviously, okay, it's, it's safer, but you know, when you're talking about humans who, you know, you're, you're, there's one death every, you know, X hundred million miles, 
that doesn't really factor into people's choices so much. You're not you're not going to say, oh, I want to get into this robo taxi because it's going to keep me safe versus this Uber that can carry my groceries to the house for me. It's it's a tough choice to make, and it's not something people are ever really going to wrap their heads around to the extent that it, you know, I think robo taxis become a clear leader in the area. It just seems like they're throwing a lot of money at them. But even once, you know, you've got a system of, you know, urban robo taxis, are you going to make that much money on them? You know, are you ever going to realize your investment? I don't know. No. I mean, I think trucking and some other areas are probably a lot, you know, a, there's a lot better chance that investors are going to end up happy in the end versus, you know, we've seen Uber, you know, struggle for many years to achieve profits and they've got real humans driving their cars. Um, I just, you know, I'll, I'll digress and just repeat once again that the, the use case here for these is I'm still skeptical. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical, but I love the idea of, of driverless cars. I love this entirely. I joke with my wife all the time saying, Hey, we're going to re be retired. We're going to get a Winnebago and it's just going to drive us cross country. Like, I would love, I mean, look, I think we would all love that, that if we knew. Great. If we knew it was going to be safe, okay. I mean, obviously nothing is going to be 100% safe. Right. And so but something that's safer than me, I welcome. That's just not here yet. Well, I mean, I've never seen you drive, so I don't know. We'll see. And you never will. <laughs> You're like Elon Musk that way. I've never seen him drive either. Because if I come to see in New York City, I'm not going to be in a car. <laughs> Smart. There's no need to be in a car here. Yes. I hate driving in the city. I had to do it the other day because I had to drive a friend somewhere um, because mass transit just wouldn't take us where we needed to go. But anyway. Well, plus parking overnight is what, 70 bucks? Good Lord. Well, you know, um, you can just drive around the block a bunch of times. Uh, so, yeah. So GM Cruise is essentially still on a death watch. They canceled their employee equity plan uh, a week or two ago. reinstated it. Oh, they, yeah, they're like, we got to reprice this because it turns out the numbers we've been making up, they even no one believes those BS numbers anymore either. Uh, but this is interesting. There's an article we're linking to in the uh, Wall Street Journal. So as soon as Kyle's gone, a little more truth comes out. So we've talked about the cruise origin. This is the Honda Odyssey connected to the ugly part of a Honda Odyssey with no steering wheel, no pedals and whatnot. Well, apparently, uh, I didn't know this, but they were out on the streets of Austin. They weren't picking people up, but you know, it did like GM cruises do. It spazzed out and <laughs> drove full speed into a building. I mean, thankfully, no one was hurt. But then you have a problem of how do you move a car with no steering wheel, <laughs> no pedals, anything like that, out of a building? GM cruise employees showed up with a blue tarp and covered it. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. <laughs> oh, my word. GM cruise. Well, I'm sure Kyle's having a yeah, and that, that's the other thing, you know. The, you know, GM came out. I mean, Cruz came out, and I believe it was a tweet from Kyle saying, you know, essentially that they'd gotten federal approval for the Origin exemption to operate right. it, and that was months ago, and we still haven't seen that yet either. So, I mean, it, it kind of gives you a window into the the loose approach to truth that they're taking over there, and that you know, I think a lot of tech companies take in this space yeah so uh listeners especially out in the california area if you're wondering wait how do these things actually get on the road here everybody in san francisco in los angeles we're against these things how do they get on the road here so michael uh pointed out briefly to it there's this lobbyist tied to the governor uh and this uh lobbyist used to work for newsom and basically his company axiom ventures is it axiom ventures axiom something or other uh, they've been, uh, you know, Cruz has hired them to have this guy go to his buddy, Gavin Newsom and be like, Hey, Gavin, <laughs> these things are safe. And Gavin's like, cool. How much of a donation do I get? And he's like, gotcha. Uh, that is the long and short of it. Prove me wrong, bro. Yeah. That's the long and short. I mean, and well, the, the real short of for us is that I think Gavin Newsom, you know, he's been fairly disappointing in this area. <laughs> Um, that's the title of the episode the vetoing the truck bill, but in, in some other safety issues we've been involved with. And when, you know, a couple, I think it was a couple of weeks ago when he was speaking somewhere, I mean, he literally sounded like someone selling driverless vehicles, uh, and selling this idea that they're, you know, they're there and they're going to save us all. I mean, that was, 
that was the message that was coming out of his mouth, which suggested to me that's the message he's heard a lot. And, you know, they're, when you talk to people who are involved in this industry and they're going to these different, you know, events that are hosted by Waymo or Cruise or any of the driverless companies, there is a ton of hype. It is, you know, there are disabilities advocates saying it's going to save them. Everyone there thinks that the 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 safety implications you know of of this technology mean that we're going to eliminate fatalities and you know there's just all this rah-rah um we're going to save the world this is the greatest thing ever atmosphere but the fact is we're just so far away from that 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 at this point you know you can't i don't know it, it's it's disconcerting to see a governor get sucked up into that mindset without really being able to look at the, the facts on the ground and where the technology is right now um so we would ask uh governor newsom to take another look at this and try to look around all the lobbyists that are standing in front of you yeah so this was the perfect storm so we had the tech bro hubris we had a governor who was lobbied we'll put it lightly and then we had a company called that's G- not exactly it's <laughs> <laughs> an unusual event <laughs> and uh and gm okay and and gm in terms of their safety record so we'll flash back in time to the uh they had a problem with their chevy cobalts and in 2014 gm decided hey we look really bad at this a lot of people are dying so they created a global head of safety role in 2014 uh that role doesn't exist anymore it's, far as anyone can yeah, tell. Yeah, we haven't been able to figure out what <laughs> happened then. So they they had a guy there who was in charge, and he doesn't work there anymore. And then they hired a replacement, and that guy doesn't work there anymore because everyone's like, wait. But hey, GM, if you're hiring, I will gladly take this role. I will sit around and do nothing, but I'll take that paycheck. No problem. I don't think we can have you on our podcast if you're getting paid by GM, Anthony. Whatever. I'll become the biggest donor. I mean, how much? Well, it's GM. How much could they pay? I don't know. Um, speaking of tech bro hubris, uh, Tesla is uh, trying to get into the nickel and diming business. Tesla oh. is, it's like every day there's something new and exciting and stupid. Well, this one's even new. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're essentially saying, we're we're gonna we're gonna charge you for things that you bought with your car. Like, yeah, we know your car came with heat seaters already installed and working, but we're gonna make them a subscription. Yeah. So <laughs> if you uh you know your your Tesla came out of the factory and it had rear heat seaters in, installed, but you want to turn that on, turn it on anytime. Three hundred dollars. Like, how about uh don't put that in my car? Because <laughs> yeah. I just look at that as like if I'm a consumer, I. You sold me a car that has something in there that has a potential for failure that I didn't ask yeah. for. And yeah. what could and go it's wrong? Adding weight yeah. to the vehicle when it's pre-installed and you don't really have a choice in it. Yeah. So Tesla's uh, playing with that. And, uh, and that's not the only problem here. It's, you know, one of the other things they note is, you know, not just heated seats, but heated wipers. Well, wait. So this was confusing. So according to this article we have in Auto Evolution, um, some hacker was looking at their one of their software builds. And from him, it says it indicates that not only that heated front seats will be uh, a pay for play and wipers will soon become paid features. Now, a, a heated wipe? What's a why? It has to be a heated wiper because you can't make wipers subscriptions. <laughs> okay. They're required by federal motor vehicle safety standards. Well, what's a heated, heated wipers are above and beyond, right? They're not required by the government. Well, what is a heated so a wiper? wiper? I assume is going to help you with your defrogging and de- defogging and defrosting. But like the wiper material itself is a rubber. Like I don't want that to get hot because I'm just well, being wiping I, goo on my, my windshield. You know, I'm sure there's. I'm sure they work great. Otherwise, people wouldn't be willing to pay for them, right? Uh, I, I don't know. It's Tesla. Who knows? I'm sure they work great. But, <laughs> you know, it does. You know, that's one of the areas where things start getting creaky on subscriptions when you are charging people for features that would make the vehicle safer if they were active. Like if someone gets in a crash because their windows fogged up, and you know, you had just canceled their subscription to the heated windshield wipers then you know that's a problem for us you know we don't think that that anything remotely related to safety should be um sub, you know put out as a subscription um whether or not it's required by federal standards um heated seats fine heated cup holders fine wait there's you know, heated cup holders 
uh, who knows? You know, <laughs> anything, anything is game these days, Anthony. Oh. You look at what they're putting out. You know, do you want a yoke steering wheel? No, I don't. I don't want a yoke steering wheel. Almost any creature comfort, you know, is is something that I think could, you know, fine subscriptions are fine, but installing all of this stuff into cars when a lot of it's never going to be used just doesn't make a lot of sense to me from environmental perspective and many other ways. Yeah. So, listener, if you're going to subscribe to anything, I would become a subscribing donor to the Center for Auto Safety. What is that? Uh, you go to autosafety.org, click on donate, and then just donate monthly. That helps us so we can track revenue better. Do as little as five bucks a month or $50,000 a month. $50,000 a month is much better than $5 a month. $50,000 a month, and Anthony will come heat your seat for you every day. <laughs> every, every day I will come and heat your seats. Uh, you know, some restrictions apply. Uh, but yeah, go ahead and make this donation. And what do you get for it? Uh, you get to know that we're working on things like uh, pointing out the futility of people like, well, corporations like GM Cruise, uh, discussing issues of uh, weight in vehicles, of how more weight equals more danger. We're the only ones talking about things like this. We're the only ones talking about seat back, back collapse. You know, if I keep saying we're the only ones talking about these things, it's going to be true. Now, we're, it's, you know, there's. There's us and like there's another guy somewhere, but you know, no one listens to his podcast because, uh, because it's just, it doesn't exist. I've got nothing. Look at my caffeine. The caffeine literally just fell out of my body at that moment. It did. Now, what do you think about the cyber boat? Oh my God, the cyber boat. So, first of all, this is a product where I didn't think we were allowed to discuss on this show ever again. Well, this is a boat. Oh, okay. So Elon, I, I am I have been sickened by discussing the Cybertruck so much lately because it's just going to be such a niche product. I don't think it's going anywhere. It's not like it's going to take over America's roads to the extent that the, the really other the heavy EVs that are going to pose a safety hazard are. Uh, and I think I've gone extended rants about it, but now you know Elon is you know saying it can float, and they they're doing shots of it driving into the Gulf of Mexico as part of their promotions, which to me is a horrible thing to show people because that's probably one of the more dangerous situations you can put yourself into. I don't know electric vehicles and salt water. What could go wrong? Well, I mean, he said they can cross rivers. I don't know if you've ever tried to cross a river. I know you have, Anthony, hey, and yeah, I have too, and kayaks and many other things. And the idea of being in a cyber truck crossing a river sounds like one of the most dangerous things you could do. Yeah, I don't know what's a. Typically, if it's cold, stainless steel and salt water. I don't know what yeah, could go wrong. And then wrong. there's the whole salt water battery intrusion, uh, salt bridges and fire issue, as well as just any type of salt water getting into a vehicle hell but hey if you're waiting on your cyber truck the rumor has that november 30th they're finally going to start delivering them you know what else is going to happen on november 30th the center for auto safety is going to release something even bigger than the cyber truck what how is that possible yeah even bigger bigger and a lot more fun than the cyber truck and cheaper much cheaper more fun great taste less filling well i don't know about taste i wouldn't i wouldn't eat this thing i mean you know i'm sure somebody has People have put everything in their mouth at this point. But anyway, go to autosafety.org, click on donate, and you can, you know, you'll feel good about yourself. We're like, ha, they made me giggle. Or ha, that host was really annoying and but you know, Michael needs some money because he, he has to put up with this. Uh so let's go into uh uh yeah, that that went by really fast. I, we're almost an hour in already. I know, we're flying. Look at that, we don't need no Fred. Um, but before we do that, I want to, before we go into recalls, let's do, uh, the consumer warning on auto glass insurance scams. So this is an article linking to from the Washington Post. This is, uh, hey, uh, another reason not to live in Florida. Uh, auto, uh, so there's some sort of scams going around where these, uh, insurance companies call them harvesters and their sales pitch to owners is simple. Auto glass shops can offer Free windshield replacements because it's covered by comprehensive insurance. All they need is a signature. But then things go sideways. So what's happening here, Michael? So essentially, this is very similar to something that a lot of us may have experienced. When if you're a homeowner and you have people coming to your door asking you if, to evaluate your house for hail damage, um, typically unsolicited, you know, any type of unsolicited person knocking your door should be. 
looked upon with suspicion unless they're wearing a Boy Scout or Girl Scout uniform. And then you really and look at them suspiciously. <laughs> Maybe in your house. <laughs> they. This is similar. It's. It's basically these. Are the, these guys are going around instead of looking at the you know shoddy condition, looking for you know houses with roofs that are in slightly shoddy condition. They're looking for people with cars who have cracks and other things, and they come knock on your door or try to figure out who you are. Maybe they call you. I don't know exactly how that part works, but they're essentially trying to get you to sign off on a replacement for your glass that they then send to um, your insurer and the bill is enormous. Um, and so I don't know about you, Anthony, but if I have a cracked windshield, I go to my insurer. I think I pay like a $50 deductible and safe light comes out to my house, to my driveway puts a new windshield on wait you only have a 50 dollar um, deductible yeah it's nothing well, right? uh, mine i think is like 500 buck deductible it's great and, oh. and and that's how it works and it's you know a comp, you know it's a system that's run by my insurance company in partnership with the glass company and you know caveat here i've got a 2019 volkswagen jetta that does not have crash avoidance or other type of technology sensors built into the windshield i think we've talked a lot about fred's problems with his subaru well they're behind the and getting those things repaired yeah. can really be a pain in the ass um so that's one issue here you know you've got these basically they're they're scamming insurance ultimately but What's happening is that, that, you know, there are a lot of lawyers in Florida who are getting involved with this. I'm not sure. It seems like, you know, these aren't the, the kind of lawyers that are, I don't know, they may, maybe they're out of work or they have a low caseload and they're having to take on some really shady lawsuits. But it's it's driving up insurance for everyone else in Florida because, you know, everyone else who is doing the right thing and getting their you know, paying their $200 or $50 deductible is having their rates rise because the insurance companies are having to fight off these, you know, lawsuits and all these other um, outside glass shops who, you know, are charging them really high rates of repair, really high rates for repair. So it's a, it's a growing problem. It looks like it's happening only in Florida for the most part now, but we wanted to make everyone aware of it just in case you see someone who comes by and has some great ideas on how you can spiff up your um, windshield or any other auto glass because it's probably better to contact your insurance company first or someone you trust rather than a random person walking up to your door. Mm, don't trust the strangers. Stranger, danger. Stranger, danger. And now with that, time for a recall roundup. Time for recall roundup. Uh, first one we're going to hit is from Honda, uh, potentially 248,999 vehicles. Uh, this is for the 2015 to 2020 Acura TLX, the Acura MDX, uh, 2016 Honda Pilots, uh, Honda Odyssey, Honda Ridgelines. Ridge I'm not going to read through all of these. It's basically all of the bigger um so, mid-size SUVs, minivan, yeah. and pickups that Honda makes. So this is, if the connecting rod bearing seizes, the engine can be damaged and run improperly, stall, stop while driving, and or not start, increasing the risk of fire crash or industry. Injury. During production of the crankshaft, due to improper settings of equipment used to manufacture the engine crankshaft, the crank pin was improperly ground, resulting in crank pins with a crown or convex shape that are out of specification. Um, how... Oh, that, so that's potentially two hundred and forty-nine thousand vehicles. Like, that's all. That's a big mistake. That's that's more than a Friday afternoon. That's somebody. Um, that's more than one somebody, like not checking things. That's a pretty big one. Yeah, I mean, it just looks like a, a screw up on the um, equipment making the crankshafts themselves. So it's a rather large recall and, you know, it's, it results, you know, they note that it had, you know, it is a fire risk. So it's, there's obviously your crankshaft breaks, your vehicle's going to lose power. Um, you're going to stall or stop wherever you are, be unable to move the vehicle out of the road if it's there and, um, you won't be able to start it up. And it also increases the risk of fire. So, um, I'm not exactly sure how it does that. 
um, because they don't detail that in their report. But, you know, that there is a stalling and fire risk here. Mm -hmm. And it looks like they're going to be getting... Well, the registered owners will be contacted. Yep. It looks like they already started on their notification on this recall. Yeah. And if you've uh, already paid to have this repair completed at your own expense, um, you'll oh, be reimbursed. Actually, it looks like they're going to start an owner notification on this right at the right at the new year, January 2nd. Okay. So if you're a Honda SUV minivan, Acura SUV minivan owner, you can expect to receive a recall notice in the mail in early January. And in the meantime, you know, be, be aware that this problem exists and, um, it's possible that your vehicle, you know, has a proper crankshaft in it. So there's no definite safety problem in your vehicle right now. But, you know, once you, once you get to, um, January, the dealer will inspect it and you'll, you'll, he'll know whether or not, or they will know whether or not, um, you have the recall condition and replace it as necessary. Okay. That's our only recall. And now we have some investigations. Uh, Kia America, this is 2016-2017 Sorrentos with the 3.3 liter engines. Uh, loss of motive power due to head gasket, head bolt failure. Uh oh, the uh, Office of Defect Investigations has received 13 complaints alleging incidents of loss of motive power. Um, so we'll see what happens. This is a, we've received a, a complaints from consumers on this problem when, you know when the, the really large hyundai and kia fire recall was the theta 2 engine right um which was a smaller engine than this this was in some of the larger suvs but we continued to receive you know complaints from consumers saying hey all these other recalls happened and our vehicles haven't been recalled yet for this issue what's wrong well you have the lambda 3 engine and it looks like nitsa's you know, getting around to that one now as part of, you know, its general look into the key investigation that started in 2019. Um, so we'll see what happens there. You know, the, the other Kia related thing this week, there's, there's an, what they call an audit query. And so we talked about a month ago about the Kia and Hyundai anti-lock brake system fire issue. Right. And as it turns out, most of those, or I think all of those recalls were involved a specific analog brake system module and the HECU, the hydraulic electric control unit, manufactured by one equipment supplier called, is it Mondo, Mando, uh, M-A-N-D-O. And so over the course of seven years, between 2016 and 2023, Kia and Hyundai issued 16 separate recalls on these issues and so it covered about six and a half million vehicles so what nits is doing now is going back and saying you know you, you, you knew this was all one manufacturer and similar problem in all these vehicles why did it take 16 separate recalls over seven years to get this safety issue addressed well penalties um, aren't strong enough. i think they're going to find that basically you know pre-2020 Hyundai and Kia had some really bad safety practices. They've had to, you know, they've already entered into a consent agreement with NHTSA and paid tens of millions of dollars and built a giant safety testing center in Michigan that just opened um, because of those things. And so this may be, you know, uh, that may be what they find here. You know, we just weren't doing it right then. And now we're doing it right maybe maybe they aren't we'll see and maybe they've uh you know decided to stop hiring children from their uh suppliers <laughs> okay uh, i'm gonna jump to uh listener feedback we got which i haven't shared with you yet so uh this is a good one i think good. and this is how we're gonna end uh dear pod there should be a way for the government to declare auto safety features are of such public value that the government requires them for all new autos five years after the int initial introduction Fixed income for fixed time off technology. Uh, fund it with military emergency funding by calling it the war against killing for fun and profit. Sincerely, your eco-socialist fan. Let's do it. <laughs> we would have a lot, if, you know, if that was the case, we would have a lot of things going into vehicles right now. Um, that, you know, automatic emergency braking would have been in every car, you know, what, 
six, seven years ago. I, uh, why not? Really good automatic emergency brake would be going to cars now. Everyone in five years would be getting some of the advanced cruise and Lane ultra keeping, cruise yep. and super cruise and blue cruise and autopilot and all those nit features that are out there. I mean, who knows? I, I, I don't know that, you know, America works that way. That's part of the problem. Things are really creaky and take a long time here. Um, but, you know, if Europe operates kind of like that, they get things on the book quick. They get, you know, they're, they're destroying us in America when it comes to both safety and, and getting technology into vehicles fast. Uh, they've already got intelligent speed assistance coming to their vehicles. Not the, not the kind I'd like, which is active and is actively going to slow people down, but hopefully that's going to come sooner. I mean, I'm sure when that comes, it will happen in Europe before America. But your version so, that you'd like to um, be active is like if somebody's speeding, a hand comes out of the, st the steering column and slaps someone in the face. I, I wish. Or uh, they have a little... But that would probably cause, you know, other safety issues. Let's just focus on slowing the car oh, down right, first. Fine. You're no fun. Making sure everything's safe, and then we could slap. Yo, no, bro. What we're going to do is we're going to get rid of the steering wheel and the pedals, and uh, magical thinking will uh, make it go. Uh, like, can SoftBank give me a billion dollars? And I'll call it We Drive. Is this Kyle's new job? I don't know, but I figure anything that SoftBank... <laughs> funds is stupid you know it's a, just a, they're the perfect example of uh, money does not equal brains uh, hey and with that listeners because you definitely have brains and maybe you got a dollar or two you know send them to the center for auto safety it is tax deductible Ooh, boy oh boy we love those deductions uh, thanks for listening we'll be back next week so we'll uh, senior correspondent Fred Perkins uh, and uh, we've got some more and more things to talk about maybe we'll talk about Hoboken and pedestrians I want to uh, so thanks bye Bye, everyone. For more information, visit www.autosafety.org.